Revelation chapter 3, verse 22. This is a conclusion of the writings to the seven churches of Asia at the beginning of the book of Revelation. And this verse is repetitive through all the messages of the church, and it is the theme of what I'd like to speak to you about tonight. Revelation 3.22, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Jesus said, if you have the capacity to hear, then hear. So I want to ask you tonight a question. What is the Spirit saying to you? What is the Spirit saying to you? Have you ever noticed that it's really easy for God to speak to you um, about what he wants to say to other people? We can get a clear direction that that person needs to hear this word from the Lord. But have you ever realized how really difficult it is to hear the voice of God for you? No, I'm not talking about God speaking to you about a, a message or a sermon if you're a preacher or a teacher or if God's giving you a word to tell someone else. But when God is directly talking to you, when God is speaking to me, sometimes he has to clear a lot of clutter, a lot of preconceived ideas, a lot of things that I'm thinking so I can hear the clear voice of God. What is the Spirit saying to you? My, object, my objective in this message tonight is really not to tell you what God is saying to you. Through preaching and teaching, God does speak to his church. I do want to remind you that Jesus Christ is speaking. The Bible said that the Spirit would speak expressly or specifically in the last days to tell us the conditions of our culture. But my primary objective is to help you cut through the clutter of so many other voices that may be speaking to you right now to hear what the voice of the Spirit of God is saying to you. And because I have the advantage of preparing a message before I teach or preach it, I've already been asking the Lord to clearly speak to me. In the teachings of Jesus he repeatedly said what he told us in Mark 7, 16. If any man have ears to hear, very similar words, let him hear. This is what Jesus wanted his hearers to do, to not just have the capacity to hear, but really receive and obey what the Spirit was saying. I want to show you this truth in the messages that Jesus Christ gave to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. I'm going to move through them rather quickly. It would make a great Bible study to go back through Revelation 2 and 3 to see what Jesus said to the churches of Asia Minor. And I specifically want you to notice tonight that each church had a customized message. While there were some general things that were said to all the churches, and there are some things that the Lord could say to all of us that all of us should hear collectively. The Lord Taylor makes his messages to his people. The first church that he addresses in Revelation 2 is a church at Ephesus. They are the hardworking, faithful 
truth-loving church that had left their first love. The Lord said, I know your works, your labor, your patience. You don't put up with people that are in false doctrine. You warn them, you run them out of your midst. You've got a lot of patience. You've carried the burden in the heat of the day. But nevertheless, he said, I have somewhat against you that you have left your first love. He told them to repent and do the first works. And then he complimented them again. He told them, you do have this, that you hate the Nicolaitans, which Jesus said, I also hate. So to the church at Ephesus, Jesus said in Revelation 2.7, I'm going to give you these summary verses at the end of each of these messages. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Ephesus, hear the words, repent, and do the first works. The second church is the church at Smyrna. We have a Smyrna in the city of Atlanta. The church that would suffer persecution. The message to them is rather short. He writes to them and said, you know, I'm the one that was dead and now alive. I know your works, your tribulation, your poverty, but you're really rich spiritually. I know the blasphemy that's come against you. And he said, I want to tell you that you should not fear any of the things that are going to happen to you and the suffering you're going to go through. You're going to be tried 10 days, but if you will be faithful unto death, I will give you a crown of life. In Revelation 2.11, in summary to Smyrna, the Lord said, He that hath an ear, let him hear what spirit saith to the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt by the second death. Smyrna, hear what the spirit is saying to you. The next church is Pergamos, the church that lived in a very evil city where Satan's seat was. He told them, I am the God that has the two-edged sword, and you have held my name fast. You've not denied my faith. Even when Antipas was martyred there, where you live, where Satan dwells. But he said, I have a few things against you. You have people in your church that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. He said, you've got people there that also hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. So I want you to repent. You've got to repent because I'm going to come quickly. And if you don't repent, the Lord Jesus Christ said, I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So Pergam is here. Revelation 2.17. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, And will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, say he that receiveth. Pergamos, your message is to repent. I've got a specific message for the church at Pergamos. The next church is the church at Thyatira. The church that had a false prophetess in it. And Jesus begins to write to them. And he describes himself as the God whose eyes are like a flame of fire. He said, I know your works, your charity, your service, your faith, your patience, and all of your works. And he said, you're really, you've got a lot of good things going for you. He said, but I've got some things against you. Isn't it wonderful that God loves us enough to call us out where we need to be 
called out. What is the spirit saying to you? He said, you've allowed this spirit of Jezebel, the woman Jezebel, she calls herself a prophetess. She's teaching false doctrine. She's seducing my servants to commit immorality and eating things sacrificed to idols. Jesus said, I'll give her a space to repent. And then that's going to be the end. And all of those that join in with her and all the churches are, are going to know that I'm the God that searches your motives, your reins, it says in the King James. And I give to everyone according to their works. It's just not a generic, you're in the church, oh, it's all good. What is the Spirit saying to you? But to you and the rest in Thyatira that have not held this doctrine, you've not known the depths of Satan, I want you to hold fast till I come back again. And then to this church in Revelation 2.29, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now, I'm trying to not belabor any of these points, and you may think that the Word of God is a little repetitive, but I want you to bear in mind that this is the end of the message of God to every one of the seven churches of Asia. He then writes to Sardis, the church that has fallen asleep. He said, I know you've got a name that you're really alive, but in fact, Sardis, you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things that remain. He said, I've not found your works perfect for before God. Remember what you've received and heard. And if you will not watch, he said, I'll come on you like a thief. But even in Sardis, a church that fell asleep, he said, there's a few names there that have not defiled themselves. And if you'll overcome, you'll be clothed in white raiment. And then in Revelation 3, 6, he says, Here, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Sardis, I'm telling you to watch, to strengthen, to remember, to hold fast, and to repent. The next church is the church of Philadelphia, the church of brotherly love that had endured patiently. And the Lord said to them, you've got an open door that no man can shut. What a wonderful word to the church of Philadelphia. And he said, there are some people of the synagogue of Satan. They've come against you. I'm going to cause them to come bow and worship at your feet. Because you've kept the word of my patience, I will keep you in the hour of temptation that will come upon all the world. And he said, be careful. Don't let anyone take your crown. And to him that overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will never go out again. It's an amazing writing to the church at Philadelphia. And he tells him in Revelation 3.13, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Philadelphia, you've got a unique word. I've given you an open door. Don't let anyone take your crown. The last letter is to the church at Laodicea, the church with lukewarm faith. Jesus said to them, you're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm. I can't stand mediocrity. I can't stand someone that's half in, half out. He said to Laodicea, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. He said, you say, I'm rich, increased with goods. We don't need anything. But he said, really, you don't know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. 
I want you to buy of me gold tried in the fire, white raiment. I want you to anoint your eyes with eye salve so you can be able to see. Because right now, Laodicea, you are a blind church. You're a lukewarm church. But then he said to them, as many as I love, I rebuke. The Lord's saying this to Laodicea, not to destroy them, but to save them. And he told them to be zealous and repent. This is that famous verse. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and will open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh, I'll grant him to sit with me in my throne. And then Revelation 3.22. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now, I went through these churches and I wanted you to see that while there are some things that are good for all of us, repentance, hearing the general message of God, seven times the Lord repeated this injunction to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Each of these seven churches in the same region, Asia Minor, lived in a different local context. They faced different circumstances. They fought different spiritual battles. There were some common challenges and some unique circumstances. And they all needed to hear what the Spirit was saying to the churches, but their message was tailor-made for them. It was unique because God saw down into them. He wanted them so much to do the right thing, to be saved, to be a productive, successful church. So he spoke specifically or uniquely to them. I would love to say that the Lord would come to me and and he would address me like he addressed the church of Philadelphia. It would all be good. You know, he didn't have any rebuke for Philadelphia. But he might come to me like Laodicea and telling me that I can't see nearly as clearly as I think I can see. The unchanging word of God is for every one of us. But the spirit speaks directly to our needs, to our challenges, to our weaknesses, to help us be more like Jesus Christ. God's specific word to me and God's specific word to you is what I want to speak to you about tonight. I don't want you to try to figure out what God's word is to your spouse, your children, your neighbor, at church. Tonight I want you to ask the Lord Jesus Christ to come into your life, to speak to you directly and specifically. And maybe it won't all happen tonight. Maybe it will happen over the next few days where you open your heart to God and ask the question, what is the Spirit saying to me? I felt very direct tonight to to go to the preaching of John the Baptist. So we're going to spend a little bit of time in Luke chapter 3 tonight and a very interesting passage of Scripture. Now, John the Baptist came preaching a message of repentance. In Luke chapter 3, Luke gives us a sampling of his preaching. He tells us when he came. He ties it to historical date and who was in leadership at the time, Annas and Caiaphas. And John comes out of the wilderness. He's, uh, he's the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He's preaching outside the cities 
and he's preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And we quote Isaiah, Luke does, prepare the way of the Lord. He's going to come raise every valley, lower every mountain, straighten out every crooked place, make all the rough places smooth, and then all flesh shall see the salvation of the Lord. I preached this passage just a few weeks ago. But then the Bible said the multitude that came to John, they wanted to be baptized of him. They were responding to his message. And John, he was pretty rough. He said, oh, generation of vipers, who's warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth fruit. Now, this is very important. Bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. In other words, John said, I want you to show evidence that you've really had a change of mind. The word repentance here and other places in the New Testament comes from a Greek word, metanoia. It means a change of mind. It implies heart, life direction, and about face from sin to salvation, from darkness to light, from living by our own way to living under the lordship of Jesus Christ. John told them, I don't want to hear about your pedigree. Don't tell us that Abraham's your father. But God's able to raise up of these stones, maybe literal stones, maybe Gentiles, children to Abraham. And then he said, the axe is laid to the root of the tree. And every tree that doesn't bring forth good fruit is going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. John is preaching a very strong message of repentance and it is having an effect. The crowd that is standing there are very convicted of their sins. It is a general message of repentance to everyone in the crowd. And that's what the message of repentance should be. Because every one of us, when we first come to God, and then many, many times after that, need to ask the Lord to forgive us of our sins, of our selfishness, of everything that is not like Jesus Christ. We need to ask him to give us a clean heart and a right spirit. And as I've said through the years, when I don't have the right attitude, I try to never give myself permission because I have a Bible and I know the attitudes that I should have. So John is preaching, he is preaching repentance. Then I want you to notice in Luke 3.10, and the people asked him saying, what shall we do then? Now, this first group, there are three groups that will come to John in this passage. And the first group are just somewhat generic people, the people of the land, common people. And they come to John and they ask him, how are we to apply this message of repentance to our lives? What does it mean for us to bring forth fruit that is meat or worthy of repentance. And John tells them, just as Jesus told the seven churches in Revelation, all of the personal application of the general message to hear what the Spirit is saying. John the Baptist tells them in Luke 3:11, he that has two coats, let him impart to him that has none. And he that hath meat food, let him do likewise. John says to these people, if you're really repenting, then get generous. If you've got more than you need, find somebody who is needy and give it to them. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. It's the second commandment. It encompasses the second table of the law, commandment six through 10, amen? He said, if you've got two codes, give one away. If you've got some food to spare, share it. Be generous with people who have less than you. He was hitting at the heart of greed that is inherent to human nature that we want to accumulate and we don't want to be generous And John spoke to these people and said, this is how repentance is going to be evidenced as fruit in your life is going to be shown by your generosity to other people. Then there was a second group that came to John the Baptist, Luke 3, 12. Then came also the publicans to be baptized. Now remember, John baptized under repentance, looking ahead to Jesus who would baptize the Holy Ghost and then baptism in the name of Jesus Christ would be implemented. But because baptism in the name of Jesus is burial with Christ, as Paul told us in Romans 6, they cannot be buried with Christ because Christ had never died and never been buried. So this was a rite of baptism. It was a public show of their repentance. It was a demonstration that they were getting, they were repenting. So the publicans, the tax collectors, come to John the Baptist and they're getting ready to be baptized. I don't know if they went into changing rooms and they got their baptismal robe on or they were just going to be baptized as is. But they said, Master, John, what what shall we do? What are the signs or the fruit of repentance that you want to see in our lives? Before John would baptize them, John said to the tax collectors in Luke 3, 13, exact no more than that which is appointed you. In other words, he said to the publicans, to the tax collectors, don't rip people off. Now, in the same way that everyone needs to be more generous, you tax collectors, there's a real temptation for you to excise fraud on people. So let me talk about these publicans for just a few minutes. They had a lot of latitude and they were infamous for their abuse of taxation. In the land at that time, there were two primary forms of taxation. One was a direct tax for land and a head tax on each person. And there was a second collection of tax that was more like a custom or a toll or a duty. If you're going down a highway and there's a toll booth, it would be similar to this. And like tractor trailers would be weighed and there would be taxes, you know, imposed on them based on the weight. It would be similar to that. Now these tax collectors were independent agents and they would bid on a tolling area. And after they won that bid, then they would charge people accordingly and then they would make a profit from that. The highest bidder gets the toll booth and then they charge people taxes. Well, you can see the corruption coming, can't you? Because they can assess taxes they kind of deem necessary and there's probably no one there. There's no electronic surveillance and, and they, were, they were known, they were notorious The publicans were notorious for corruption. Remember Zacchaeus or Zacchaeus? He said, I'm going to restore fourfold anything I've taken wrongfully. Many times in the New Testament, the Bible would say, publicans and sinners, they're just tied together. If you're a tax collector, you're probably a sinner. For they come to John the Baptist and say, 
What are we supposed to do? And John says, quit ripping people off. So the general message becomes very specific to the publicans that they need to have integrity if they're really going to be godly, this is before Jesus, if they're really going to be godly, then they need to be honest. What is spirit saying to you? He said, I'm just one of the people. Be generous. Well, I'm a professional politician or a tax collector. Be honest. And then there's a third group. They come as a group to John the Baptist. And in my thinking, it's a very unlikely group for them to come as a group to John the Baptist. They have heard his preaching, Luke 3, 14. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, what shall we do? Now think about this. These are soldiers. Maybe they're there keeping the peace around all of these people coming to hear John the Baptist. But now they're convicted. And I think it's pretty impressive that they would come to John the Baptist asking this question. Now, we're not sure if they're Jews or Roman soldiers. They could have been both. And I've checked several commentaries because in my mind, they were probably Jewish to respond to the preaching of John the Baptist. If they were Jewish soldiers, they probably worked for Herod Antipas or Philip. But ultimately, they were in the service of Rome. They were peacekeepers. They were policemen in Palestine. And John said three things to them. This is the third group. John says three things to them. First, John said, this is all in verse 14, do violence to no man. John knew that these soldiers had a reputation for roughing up people and possibly even extorting money from them. This was an abuse of the power of the sword, of, of being a soldier. And it existed in biblical times. So he tells them to do no violence to no man. At times, history says that they would go take property from people and they would use unlawful force to actually take property away from those people. Do no violence to anybody. And it's possible that they were prone to violence and taking property and burdening people, using their position, their power, their weapons to abuse their subjects. And then John said the second thing to the soldiers, and I'm getting into the middle of the verse, neither accuse any falsely. Now you can see how this would happen. Here's a person going down the road, maybe living in their house, in their business, and the soldiers would come. Maybe they wanted a bribe from them. Maybe they wanted their property, their business. I've already mentioned that idea. And he said, I want you to make sure that you do not accuse anyone falsely. Don't take advantage of people just because you have power. Don't attempt to be dishonest. If you're really going to repent, if you're a soldier then don't abuse the power that you have from Rome that Romans 13, Paul would later write and 2 Peter 2 would tell us that that authority comes from God and you're the minister of God for good and if people are law abiding, they shouldn't have any problem from you. So John tells them, that would all be written later, 
But John tells them not to do that. And then John says, there's a third thing for you soldiers. I want you to be content with your wages. Now think about how being discontent with your wages would be a setup for some type of abuse. The Greek word for wages here refers to their pay of money, but also their daily rations. They received an allotment of food. Adam Clark says that the pay for soldiers was about three half pence a day. They did not make a lot of money. And I don't know how much food they got, but they got a daily ration of maybe wheat or barley or whatever their food allotment was. These soldiers were high professionals, highly skilled professionals, but they were not highly paid professionals. And so when their low pay was there, their morale could be low. They could be uh, maybe vulnerable to someone trying to bribe them or to abuse their power. So John told them, if you're really going to repent, people of the land, be more generous. Publicans, be honest. Soldiers, do no violence to any man. Don't do anything that is wrong to people and be content with your wages. You see, this is a very powerful word to them. I wanted to use these three examples. And in my, to my memory, I've never taught on this passage in 42 years of ministry. But I felt directed of the Lord to talk about this Luke chapter 3 and to tie in these messages to the church of Revelation. Because it is so easy for all of us to have an answer for everyone else and to point the finger at everyone else. But I can assure you that God is speaking. He's not silent. That in this hour right now that the Holy Spirit of God is speaking through his word by his spirit and he's speaking to you and he's speaking to me. Publicans and soldiers were very powerful classes of people. They had the power of Rome behind them and they were often subject to corruption and abuse. And I really like it when John brings a hammer of preaching down on those publicans. I want to say, John, just jump on those publicans. Get onto those soldiers. I mean, here's John, one man standing to all these soldiers, however many were there, and he is fearlessly preaching and telling them what to do. I love it when John gets on those powerful people. But don't ever forget that this altar call in Luke chapter 3, after the preaching of repentance by John the Baptist is started with common people who came to John first. And I don't really know how it happened, but I just kind of see them coming and John telling them how to apply repentance to their lives and the publicans being under conviction and seeing the rank and file, common people turning from their sins, being baptized of John and Jordan. And then here are the soldiers, the rough and tough guys who are feeling convicted for the way they have abused their power. And they're coming to John and saying, what do we need to do to make sure that we demonstrate true life change and we show the fruits of repentance? I want to say to every one of us today that for all the reform that we want to take place in our country, and for all the fingers that we can point at everybody else, what we need to do is ask the question, what is the Spirit saying to me? What can 
I do to make a change in my soul? If I want a revival in my country, I've got to make sure that there's a revival in this church. And if I want there to be a revival in you, then I need to make sure that there is a revival in me. What is the Spirit saying to you? I'd like for you to bow your heads with me right now. And I would like for us to go to the Lord in prayer. And I would like for us to ask the Lord Jesus Christ to come to me, come to you, and that he would help us in this hour of instability and questioning and finger pointing that we would put away the magnifying glass of judging everyone else, whoever that is and whoever you are. It really doesn't matter to me at all. But I would pray that you would pick up the mirror and that you would ask God to show you yourself in the mirror of God's word. And let's get thoroughly right with God. And let's bring forth fruit that is evidence of repentance and right living in our life so that our world can see the revival that we so desperately need. Lord, I pray right now that you would help me humble myself before you. For Lord, as I studied these scriptures, I saw how you so clearly and convincingly address your people, the churches of Revelation, and how you addressed those groups, the people, the publicans, the soldiers who came to John the Baptist in Luke 3 asking, what do I need to do to make sure that I demonstrate true repentance in my life? And I pray today that my repentance wouldn't just be lip service, not just words, that I would search my soul deeply, that I would let the word of God speak to me and the spirit of God would take the word of God, the sword of the spirit, that it would go deep in me, that it would help me become more like you. I pray, Lord, that you would help every one of us who has an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. I pray that in Jesus' name.